We are here. And uh, let me just say that uh, for those of you that drink and eat healthily, uh, chunky is not a good way to go. <laughs> what, I, do you, what do you got there? Oh, you know, a little bit of everything. A little everything, huh? Uh, it should have put some Jack Daniels in it there. It looks like, I'll, I'll be honest, it looks like blueberry. Yeah, I, there, I, is I get, little, get, okay. there is a little blueberry in there. I, I see some blueberry. There's um, a little possibly bit. Possibly some raspberry. There's some pomegranate. There's oh, really? Some, oh, yeah. You're going fancy. There's a, uh, well, it's just juice. I don't yeah. actually buy a whole pom. I don't have time in the morning to <laughs> yeah. All those damn extract seeds. a seed from a pomegranate. Jeez, you have too much time. Oh, hands. my gosh. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 delicious, but it's chunky. So it's, 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 it's doing that delicious balance out with I'm about the puke thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and see, for me, uh, he does the healthy stuff. I do the gasoline in a can. <laughs> the the, uh, the gasoline in a can. At least it's flavored gasoline. Yeah, well, the, the rehab's not too bad. Uh, we're not sponsored by Monster. I'm just throwing, we're not sponsored. However, contact me. Uh, you know, we'll, I'd be more than happy. Um, but no, these aren't too bad. We'll work for Monster. Like, these are only 25 calories a can. Um, and let me see the sugars. Four grams of sugars, so total three three net carbs, or sorry, six net carbs. So I mean, it's for those of you that are keto, these things are they're still not great, but they're not the worst. Six, six net carbs. That's not that's not too yeah. bad. That's not too bad. Yeah, you know, carbs carbs are the important piece of it. So last week we had kind of a random episode yeah where we I just talked about don't even ask me what we talked about we talked about week. a lot of different things we <laughs> talked about abortion again um we talked about well i think we might have to touch on abortion just one more time at the beginning of this podcast because there is something that i wanted to bring up um and then we can get into um we're finally here folks fourth amendment fourth yo everybody not to be confused with west side fourth amendment yo Fourth Amendment. Not not West Side or East Side. Yeah. It's, it's fourth. Fourth. Fourth Amendment, yo. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Cuatro. Amendos. <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Amendias. Um, um, so go out and check our, our old episodes out. We're on Spotify. We're on um, Google, Apple, Breaker. A lot of hosts that I've never heard of. We just get pushed out to them, so we're there. We I've never never listened to those platforms before. But I don't know there. if anybody else does either. Yeah, I mean, really. Um, but go check out our old episodes. We've got some good stuff. We're we're going on three years now. Where yeah. this is episode one hundred and three. Don't forget our OnlyFans. <laughs> they always forget our OnlyFans. We've got a Reddit community, um, BTL podcast. The, the or is it yeah BTL podcast and then we have a Reddit page so to speak uh, the BTL show um, we're on Facebook at the BTL podcast we're on Twitter 
at the BTL or on Facebook at PA Between the Lines. Sorry. Uh, we're on Twitter at the BTL Podcast. There's plenty of places to get a hold of us. Nobody ever talks to us, though. Um, I'd like, you know, it'd be cool to have some interaction with some of you people that actually listen to our, our podcast, all four of you. We're basically just talking to ourselves. Yeah, at this that's point. what it seems like. We just do this for our own entertainment, really. You know, I was just thinking if we had an OnlyFans site, <laughs> it could be like a site dedicated to selling actual fans there you go like ceiling fans yeah we're selling only, only fans only fans only fans <laughs> that's all we that's all but we're would talking. i have to do p-h-a-n-s because it's taken there you go we or, might have to <laughs> and we, we might still get a cease and desist or or we could do like a han solo thing called only hans only hans i like it i like it we we, we would get a lot of swedish and german <laughs> yeah <laughs> All the David Hasselhoff fans. Yep, they'd be like, oh, I am Hans. Oh, I love Knight Rider. I, I love your only Hans webs, <laughs> website. It's very great. It's, it's very Swedish. Being that my name is Hans, I love your website. <laughs> I love I love uh, butterflies and uh, windmills and chocolate. <laughs> now I, sound I come like from stu- a little Bavarian village. I sound like that uh, kid from uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Oh, yeah. The one that... Augustus Glute. Augustus, Augustus Glute. I love the chocolate. <laughs> I must eat all the chocolate. All the chocolate. All the chocolate. Sorry. That that kind of got out of control there for a minute. So we actually never talk about anything. <laughs> so um, the, the thing that I wanted to bring up, and I want to see if I could find an article for it, is that... Um, there was a girl, a little girl. Do tell. She was 10 years old. Okay. And had to have an abortion. Yeah. Yes. Uh, That's sad. She lived in Ohio. And as everyone knows, there was a change in the abortion laws recently. And in Ohio, there is a six-week limit on when you can have an abortion. This girl found out that she was pregnant six weeks and three days after the fact. Her mother, and, and this is where it gets kind of dicey, because they go to the doctor, but the doctor sends them to Indiana for an abortion because apparently Ohio restricts abortions. However, Ohio has an exception for rape. It turns out the 10-year-old was raped by a 27-year-old man. I was going to ask. There's no way that's a normal circumstance. Exactly. Turns out the 10-year-old girl was raped by a 27-year-old man. And then it was never reported in Ohio because... You know, if you, if you, in order to claim the exception to get an abortion for rape, you have to file rape charges and no report was filed and the mother just, the parents, uh, I don't want to say the mother cause I'm not sure. Um, but th- the mother, um, took the child to Indiana and the doctor in Indiana reported the father as a 17-year-old boy, even though she was raped by a 27-year-old man. So what it turns out is it looks like 
this poor girl, and I'm saying it looks like because this is still a, uh, it's still an ongoing investigation and everything like that. So I don't want to say anything um, or anything like that. I want to caveat everything. However, it looks like the mother or the parents or the doctor were trying to cover for the 27-year-old man because he was an illegal immigrant. And they also wanted to get headlines because they wanted to say, oh, well, look, look at the Ohio laws. This 10-year-old girl is going to be forced to have a baby because Ohio restricts abortions. However, Ohio has a ex- exception for rape. You just have to file a rape charge and you can have your abortion. Well... Turns out the Indiana Attorney General is now going to investigate the doctor Good. for falsifying uh, medical documents and whatnot. And the man has been arrested in Ohio and charged with rape of a 10-year-old girl. Good. So on its face, it looks like this was a publicity stunt. That they were going to try and take this girl to Indiana, have an abortion, and say, look, these mean Republicans wouldn't let this 10-year-old girl have an abortion. But they couldn't do that because Ohio law would have allowed for the abortion. So they had to cover up the rape in order to make it look like Ohio was going to force this 10-year-old girl to have a baby you know, after the six week ban. So, I mean, there's more developing to this story, but it's, it's very gross and very disheartening. And I, everybody, everybody should be ashamed of themselves I, up and down the chain. I wouldn't even wonder if the people that were claiming to be her parents are like, if these are adopted, Yeah. if this is an adoption situation. But at the same time, this I don't care who did what in this situation. They're all freaking culpable as far as I'm concerned in this. That's sick. Yep. That That's sick on... Yep. That's sick on a level that I haven't heard of in a while. That is really... <laughs> Holy, holy shnikes, that's sick. See, now Politico puts on here now, I would, the one, Politico, the website that does all the fact checking. Yeah. I'm going to put this on the on the board so everyone can see it here. But if you look right here, Politico says, uh, right here, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, an obstetrician gynecologist in Indianapolis, has told multiple outlets that she provides provided care to a 10-year-old after a child abuse doctor in Ohio contacted her. The child was six weeks and three days into pregnancy, Bernard said, after the Supreme Court overturned Rule v. Wade. A wave of state-level abortion restrictions took effect, including Ohio, a state that bans abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy with no exceptions for rape or incest. So they're all lying. So I would like to fact check Politico right here live. Does Ohio have exceptions for rape and incest? Wow. Now this is from the AP News. Let me see. House mother notified child welfare authority. It's the same case. Yep. Accused of raping her. 
Ohio had been among the states that had abortion bans or near total bans on the books before the Road versus Wade decision was issued, blah, 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 lifted a stay on the new law, which does not allow abortions after cardiac activity is detected. The abortion law permits abortion when a woman's... Ah, serious versus... That doesn't say anything about rape. Mother's life or health. How advocates see it. It doesn't answer the question. No, it doesn't. does not answer the question. Let's go back to another article. It's very riveting here on Between the Lines yeah. today. <laughs> click, click, click. Well, it turns out maybe that is true. Maybe there is a is no exception for... Introduced legislation, House Bill, which just would ban most abortion. Ohio currently allows current Ohio law allows for abortions up to six weeks after a woman's last period. The proposed legislation does not provide exceptions. The proposed legislation does not provide exceptions for pregnancies conceived by. So rape it hasn't been passed yet. That has not been passed yet, though. So that's great. They're they're obfuscating. That's this one's from US News, but it's basically the same one we looked. That's the bill that hasn't been passed yet. Ohio bill hasn't been passed yet. Abortion laws by state. Maybe this one will help us. Oh, great, Politico. Well, this would be funny if they contradict themselves. Ohio. Legal for now, pending court action. When is this? What's the date of this? June. June 2022. So this is pretty recent. So according to Politico, on their own website, oh, here we go, Ohio. And Ohio, legal for now. Abortion legal until 20 weeks after fertilization for now. Six-week ban could be reinstated by the courts. So that still doesn't answer it. Because this is this is before Roe was overturned. Prohibits abortions except to save the life. So maybe, maybe they are right. I just can't find anything to confirm it. This is the same one. That'd be a pretty uh, gaping hole in their story if they... Yeah. No exceptions. Huh. Well. (laughs) Yeah. So at any rate, this is a very creepy story, and I, I encourage, I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's unrelated to what we're actually talking about, but it was a huge story, and it's very interesting and creepy and everything else. So I think the moral of the story is is that even though the two of us, for the most part, are not in favor of abortion, I believe that 
there should be some allowment for it. Yes. And especially to, this is, this is, if this was contrived, that's one criminal. Yeah. Two, I mean, if it wasn't contrived, it's still a crime. Yeah. Because one, you have, well, there's multiple crimes going on here. You have one, an illegal immigrant who, who knows how he came into this picture. Whether my guess is the southern border, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by plane, um, Justin Trudeau dropped him yeah. off. But Biden welcomed him in. But no, I'm just as far as like how did he get mixed up with this ten year old? Yeah, like was this predatory? Was this like a catfishing situation, or was this? Were they finding? Did they find this dude and set him up? Yeah, like there's it's weird. There, there's it's a weird. lot of like it's weird, uh, but it, I. I, I guess the point I want to make is, is just I wanted to bring this to all of our followers' attention um, and so that they can follow the story and kind of make decisions for themselves. Um, I'm not – as you can see, I'm not well-versed on Ohio because I live in Pennsylvania. Um, so I'm focused on on the laws here in Pennsylvania and, you know, understanding my own state. So unfortunately, I'm not very well-versed on Ohio abortion law. Um Obviously, because I, I watched a video yesterday that suggested to me that Ohio would have allowed for um, the procedure um, to to um, take place. But apparently that's wrong as well, because if uh, if Ohio does ban abortions after six feet after six weeks, including in cases of rape and incest, then um that's a little extreme. Yeah. That's a little I extreme. I agree. I agree. Um, and that just goes to show that we are open-minded here. Yeah. Um, it's, it, we're not a closed book. Um, we don't already have our minds made up. Um, so in, in light of this new information, we are, you know, if, if that is the case in Ohio, I am definitely not on board with, with those laws. Um, I definitely believe there should always be exceptions for, um, for rape and incest and, you know, life of the mother and things yeah. of, the, of those lines. So, and another one that I, you know, that we want to talk about at some point is this effort now to criminalize out of state abortions. If you're, there's a, there's a wave of about six or six to 10 states that are trying to pass laws that makes it a crime to leave the yeah, state that, that's to have an abortion. And see, now, as a libertarian, now you're crossing into, what is it, Tenth Amendment? The freedom freedom of travel between states? Yeah. So now you're, now you're violating my right to travel, and that's not okay. Uh, yeah. We don't need passports in this country to go from state no. to state. And I'll fight that law. Uh, you know any and any pro-choice people that are upset about that law uh, i mean i'll stand next to you on that one uh because that's that's bull crap yeah. I, I i i believe every state should be able to make its own laws uh but if a state makes its own laws you should have a right if you don't like those laws you should have a light a, a right to move to whatever state has laws that you agree with yeah my thing is is if you want to be considered part of the united states as far as I'm concerned, if you want to, if you want that luxury of knowing yes. that your state is represented as one of the states that the United States holistically will represent, because when it comes down to it, like say for instance, we actually do declare war. War is declared against all fifty 
All 50 states. Yeah. So basically, whether Rhode Island agrees with it or Ohio agrees with it, let's say we're invaded one day. Rhode Island's responsibility to defend Ohio is the same as Ohio's responsibility to defend Rhode Island. You know what I mean? Yep. There's a unilateral responsibility among the states. We all have a responsibility to each other as as a nation. Now, as it pertains to the day-to-day that happens in a state, you know, that will differ from one to the other. And we know this with gun laws and all that kind of stuff. And But at the same time, there's still... You know, there's still a bottom, there's a standard that ought to be maintained across, you know, there, there ought to be a line that can't be crossed with regards yes. to that. Yep. So, yeah. I, I think, I, I think any of those laws, if challenged, yeah, um, they're not going to, they're not going to hold water uh, for, for the reasons we've already stated. Um, there's protections in the constitution against um limiting people's interstate travel see this not not to get off topic too much but this has been my fear the last two to three years with regards to just the sheer sharp motion of the administration with regards to what people hold on to tightly as being rights um that being said you know the the administration has an allergic reaction to anything that's conservative or centrist at this point. I mean, yep. I mean, there's, there's no other way to put it. The administration, Biden and all the other people that represent that administration just have a complete and utter contempt in maybe not as outright as you would expect, but it's there for the rights of, you know, people on the other side of the aisle. My fear is though, is that given the nature of what's been going on the last couple of years and just kind of the, seems like almost the mindless trampling of people's rights, you know, within the last couple of years, it would almost seem to me that it's going to go the other way. Uh, I mean, that's my fear is that, well, yeah. And, and is that, and this is step one, you know, this, this Roe versus Wade, you know, it was coming Roe versus Wade set itself up for failure. Let's just get that out of the way. We yeah. already talked about yeah, that. We've already, yep. Yep. They set themselves up for failure, but now the States are, the ones that really are against it are in a position where they can really go the other direction with it. Yeah. And there's already, um, there's already, uh, bills being introduced for a nationwide, uh, abortion ban. Yeah. So the pendulum swings, yeah. uh, so to speak, sometimes it swings slowly. Sometimes it swings swiftly. And I think this, pendulum so to speak has gained momentum going in the other direction um which i disagree with yeah um i'm always about um you know pretty much even keel center center type things i don't like extremes um so my my initial reaction to something like that would be um discontent very very much discontent because um, while I do, uh, again, states should, states should make that choice. It's about states' rights. It's about that. So a nationwide ban flies in the face of the entire reason why we overturned Roe versus Wade in, in the first place. So for the GOP and Republicans to claim that the reason to overturn Roe versus Wade was a state's issue and then go ahead and nationalize a ban on abortion is hypocritical. Yeah, it is. That's, that's dumb. Yeah. Um, I I think it's reactionism. It it, really really is is. because here's again, going back to like whatever happens in the midterms, the elections that are coming up, 
you know, let's say everything does shift because that's the way it's looking right Usually, now. Usually, yep. It's going to shift. So is this suddenly going to become two to four years of just retribution and revenge, yeah. basically? Yeah. And then we're back to square one. And then we get to the other midterms and people yep. are going to be sick of that. And then we're going to go back to the what we've experienced for the last four years. You I, know? Fear, I fear that this back and forth is the way that it's going to be now. Because it used to be, and you and I have talked about this in the past, where it used to be that, um, you know, people would have their political opinions, but you kind of didn't talk about it. And politics wasn't part of everybody's everyday life. And even politicians, they all pretty much agreed on, on the basics. It was the, it was the margins that they, that they argued about. So what I mean by that is, is it seemed like in the past, we always, at least on the face, we were always traveling in the same direction. Everybody was always going the same way. And now I feel like for four years we go this way, and then for four years we go this way, and then for eight years we go this way, and then for four years we go, you know. And I think that what we're going to devolve into is a banana republic where, you know, a Democrat gets in office, especially if they end the filibuster. If they end the filibuster, then it's all over. Yeah. Um, you know, once once a party gets the power, they make all kinds of radical changes. The next time the next party gets in power, they overturn everything the old party did, and and it's just going to be back and forth, and we're never going to have any consistent laws. The thing of it is, is it should be harder to pass laws. It should be. I I, I mean by design. You know the the whole fifty one rule that the Republicans put into place, and it was their damn fault because they're the ones yep. that pushed for that. Um, and then the Democrats just took advantage of it. You know, it's just it's one of those things we've got. People are not thinking beyond their dicks, you know, well, so to speak. You know, not both parties are at fault. It started in Obama's term. Was it Obama's term? Yes, it was Obama's first term. It was at that point. It was. Harry Reid, yeah, okay, um, was uh, president of the Senate at the time, uh, majority leader. That's what it was, and he decided that they were going to take away the filibuster yeah. option for federal judges, not the Supreme Court judges, but federal judges. And the Republicans said, "Don't do this." Because that's that's quote unquote the nuclear option, and if you do this, then you know you're opening up a can of worms. But they did it anyway. So then the next one, it was Paul Ryan. The Republicans mm -hmm. got got the majority, and so they decided to change the rules for Supreme Court justices. So that they could get their justices in the same way that the Democrats changed it for the federal judges. So now there's no filibuster for Supreme Court judges. It's just one over half. And now we're to the point where they want everything yeah. to be one over half. Because they don't want to work. They don't want the hard debate. They don't want long hours. They don't want... I do agree, though, if we're going to do the filibuster, you should have to be on the floor. Yeah. It used to be. You when, can't when, do it by proxy. Yeah, when the filibuster was introduced, the the what what gave it power was there actually had to be somebody standing on the floor talking. So you could block a bill just by talking, but you would have to stand there for eight or ten hours and talk 
Like some some people read like there was one guy that read War and Peace in in its entirety, read the whole book, um, and he blocked a bill. But you had to be there, and then the rules changed where. Um, essentially it was, I think they call it a cloture vote or something like that, where they see how many, how many votes they have. And if there's not enough to beat a filibuster, they just skip it. They don't even bother doing the debates or anything like that. They just skip it because they don't want to waste the time. So nobody has to stand up and talk for six or eight hours anymore. So you can just filibuster it by not voting. So they've, they've, they have changed the, nature of the filibuster so i think we should return to a time where if you're gonna filibuster good filibuster put your but but you gotta yeah you're gonna have to stand there your time's not any more valuable than my time you know you're a senator you're we're paying you good you're getting three figures to do nothing basically just to to argue with other people that's what you're getting paid for so we should return the filibuster to that if if anything we should return the filibuster to that i don't agree with getting rid of it uh, but if anything, we should, well, we should return to that. The point of that. it is is that it seems like over the last however many years, the Senate has done its damnedest to try to take any pressure off of the Senate. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Amnesty. You know, the whole amnesty thing, I still get a, you know, I still have problems with with yep. regards to being pulled over by cops and all that kind That's of crap. That's bullshit. It's like if you don't know how to drive like every other citizen, then you should get a ticket like everybody else. Yeah, they should be subject there's uh, that's another thing that bothers me is um Congress in general are not subject to their own laws. Yeah, and that's that that drives me nuts. It's that's like bullshit. Yeah. They they should be under as much if not more pressure than the common oh, yeah. citizen. They should be they should have higher standards. There should be there should be like an auditory council that watches the activities. Absolutely. It's supposed to called it's called the ethics committee, but it's what it you know who sits on the ethics committee? Other senators. Un- unethical senators. Yeah. And especially with like and we could have a whole episode on this, but the insider trading that yeah. goes on inside how how can a congressman make $100,000 a year and be worth $150 million. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't math. No. Math doesn't add up there. Nope. Um, yeah. So, and when you're the one influencing those bills. Yeah. Indirectly so, or directly. So, I mean, there's a lot of shit wrong with the, the government. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff wrong that needs to be changed. But to your point, I think it needs to be harder for them to be able it to. It absolutely needs to be harder. They should feel some pressure. I, I don't. It's like I don't care if they're older. I don't care no, if they're. They shouldn't be older. If you're, if you're, if you'd feel like you're too old to do your job, then you shouldn't be doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Retire. Let somebody with some fresh blood get in there and do something. Um, so anyway, that's enough of that. Yeah. Um, let's get to the point. Fourth uh, Amendment of our of our actual podcast here. So I'm going to pull this up um, from Cornell Legal Information Institute. Uh, I love this website. Um, we're not sponsored by this website, but. The Cornell Law School, anytime I have any kind of questions um, about, um, I'm moving the window all around. Sorry about that, folks. Um, anytime anyone has any questions about legal, you know, Supreme Court precedent, amendments, uh, this is like God's gift to anybody that's interested in law uh, because they have a lot of great information on this website. So, um, let's just go ahead and read the text. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated 
and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Um, so for those that are unfamiliar, uh, in circa, I don't know, 1776, uh, a little bit prior to that, I think it all started in the 1760s, to be honest with you, the king and the English common courts started issuing what they called general warrants or writs of assistance. And what these writs of assistance and the um, general warrants did is they would essentially give the crown, the British crown, the opportunity to search generally for anything inside someone's home uh, or on their property, and they could seize generally anything at all. So essentially what the general warrant does is it allows you to search for, um, it allows you to search for anything, anything and try to, try to, the the way I like to put it is if you look hard enough, you're always going to find something illegal. So that's what that, that does. And the writ of assistance, what that did is it was kind of a way around the general warrants because eventually British parliament said that general warrants were no longer allowed to be used um, on the colonies. So they started using what's called a writ of assistance. And what a writ of assistance does is it allows, it allows the crown to send soldiers in. It's essentially the same thing as a general warrant, except for instead of looking for anything, they're looking for objects that have not been, that, that have not been taxed so that somebody has, there was a tax on tea. So if you had tea without a tax stamp on it, then you were arrested or fined or something along those lines. And they were allowed to look for goods in your home that have not been properly taxed. And then the Boston Tea Party and put yes. their pinkies out as they yep. drank their tea and said, go F yourself. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I'll take mine with some honey. <laughs> so in response to this, when the country was formed, our genius founding fathers decided that they weren't going to allow general warrants in their um, in their new country. So they gave us the Fourth Amendment. Um, so what I'd like to do is real quick, I'm just going to break down the text of the Fourth Amendment. We just we just read that, but the first the first clause, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effect against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. That's the first clause. That's pretty, pretty, um, pretty explicit. Um, and that is right here. Shall not be violated. That's pretty plain text. So um, they just, they really didn't want to have to worry about you know, the government coming in and issuing general warrants and taking whatever they wanted. Um, and the second part of that, and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause. So there has to be probable cause, which we'll get into in a minute. It just basically says reasonable cause to believe 
that something illegal is going on or um, criminal behavior is about to happen. That's probable cause. Supported by oath or affirmation. So what that means is you have to go before a judge and you have to swear an oath as if you're under oath in court of law and affirm that what you're searching for is there. Um, so a police officer or a um, uh, ward of the state, however you want to put it, has to apply for a warrant under oath and affirm that what you're looking for is in a place. And then not only that, but the warrant has to particularly describe the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. So you can't just say, oh, I want a search warrant for this guy's house. You can't do that. Um, you have to say to a judge, I want a search warrant for this guy's house so I can look in his basement for corpses. <laughs> Fair enough. You know what I mean? Like there has to be there has to be a particular thing that you're looking for. You can't just willy-nilly um, you know, search for evidence. There's nowadays, no general warrants. Nowadays a lot of the searches involve cell phones. Yes. So yes. it's trying to get uh, a third I think they try to reach out to the the owners of these first before they go that route because yeah. it's one of those things where I believe the warrants would only come into play if you're not voluntarily oh sure um, working with law enforcement to some end. Yep, and um, that is an exception um, if you give consent yes. to a search. Yeah, then obviously they don't need. A warrant. But if you're constantly telling them that, well, I don't know, it was in a boating accident type of deal, and yeah, you have happened to me. reasonable suspicion to believe that said object is still on the property, yep. um, but you still have to be specific as to what it is you're looking where, for and where yeah. your suspicion like lies. Like, you can't just say, I want to search their entire property for an object. Yeah. You can't You can't do that. Yeah. Uh, not without some sort of probable cause. I mean, you can do that um, if, if, if there's like a... Let's say somebody's missing. Um, you can get a quote-unquote general warrant. It's not really a general warrant, but you can get a search warrant for a property, and and it's a little less particular about where you can search. But you, they, it's a little bit more. It's harder to get a general search warrant like that. But you can, you can say, oh well, there's. I guess it still has to be in the search warrant. Like I, I want to be able to search the grounds, the the garage, the house, the basement. Uh, you know, every it would have to list all the places that you want to search. Yeah. And if there's a place that's not listed in that warrant, then it's it can't be searched unless you get permission to search that as well. I'm just wondering too, like given the fact that they were general warrants, I wonder if not a lot of it was being used for personal gain. Oh sure. You know what I mean? Is that and we look at that in the context of today's law enforcement, and we know that there's situations where they do search and seizures of objects that end up contributing. Oh, yeah. You know, they you know millions of dollars worth of drugs that end up getting. What do they do with those drugs? Do they just sit in their their evidentiary hold up pens forever, or do they get some kind of remuneration for what they hold on to? You know it, what I mean? It's, yeah, it's called civil forfeiture is I believe what you're what what you're talking about and um, it's also called asset forfeiture or civil judicial yeah. forfeiture but law enforcement officers can take assets from people who are suspected of a crime or illegal activity 
activity activity uh, without charging the owners with wrongdoing. So if they're suspicious that you, let's say, as an example, you take out $20,000 in cash. And I don't know why you would do that, but you take out $20,000 in cash and you, yeah, and you're going to, it's nobody's business why you're doing it. Yeah. Let's say you do that and you're going to go buy a car with cash. Um, a cop pulls you over and sees a bag with $20,000 in cash sitting on your front seat of your car. Now he has probable cause to search your vehicle because it's unusual for, and suspicious for somebody to carry that much cash. Yeah. Um, he can then seize that cash under civil forfeiture because why, you know, he, they would say something like, why would somebody carry $20,000 in cash on them if they weren't in, in the process of criminal activity? And then they could seize that money. And then there was another law that allows law enforcement officers to take the cash seized in civil forfeiture and use that as part of their law enforcement budget. So you've already now incentivized the police departments to forfeit or to participate in civil forfeiture because it would allow them to boost their boost their budget yeah and it's not like police get paid the best yeah you know and you know for for a job that demands as much as it does they you know i'm not gonna lie they get paid pretty poorly in some cases but to incentivize them around acquiring and securing people's property you know i gotta back to the 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 dollar amount whatever the dollar amount is that would constitute them doing a civil forfeiture or, or an acquisition of you know your I wonder if that changed at some point to define that because you got to remember is that we didn't always have debit cards and we didn't always have credit cards. Exactly. You know? That wasn't really something until what, the 90s? Really, the 90s is when that really started to change to be a common thing. So, so the first year that the forfeitures were allowed to be used, I believe, let me look at this, it looks like it was... I don't know if anybody cares about this or not, but you know, I just it was a thought that occurred to me. Okay, so starting 1986 is the first year that okay. they actually started recording how much is taken in. So the first year recorded, 1986, total asset forfeitures were $93.7 million. That's how much was civil, how much was taken in through civil forfeiture. In 2010, was $2.5 billion. <laughs> So you can see there's a little bit of an escalation there. And do you do you think maybe that the incentive for police departments and law enforcement departments to keep the money might incentivize them because in uh so in 86 it was 93 million by 2004 it had jumped to 567 million and then one year later jumped to 1.25 billion and then 2007, two years after that, 1.58 billion. 2008, just a year after that, 1.6 billion. And then in 2010, just two years after that, 2.5 billion. So you can see there's a there's a sharp curve going upwards in the amount of money that's yeah. being seized. The problem I have with that whole thing is how do you have the ethical capacity to determine where that money and those assets go to? So. 
you can contest a seizure. Yeah. Okay. After the after <laughs> Yeah. After the police and authorities have possession of cash or other seized properties. And made it disappear. Yeah. There are two ways in which seized assets become permanently theirs. First, if a prosecutor can prove that seized assets were connected to criminal activity in a courtroom, or if nobody tries to claim the seized assets. Because if you're a criminal yeah. and they are actually illegal, you're not going to go to court and say, hey, they, they took my drug money. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, what happens, the, the next uh, line here says, what happens in many instances is that the assets revert to police ownership by default. If a victim challenges the seizure, prosecutors sometimes offer to return half of the seized funds as part of a deal in exchange for not suing them. Sometimes police, challenged by lawyers or by the victims, volunteer to return all of the money provided that the victim promises not to sue the police or prosecutors. So essentially they're holding your money hostage. It's arbitrary. And they say, okay, I'll give you half. Yeah. And you're like, no, it's my money. I want all of it. Like, all right, you can have all of it, but don't sue us. (laughs) Like, no, give it to me or I'm going to sue you, you know, or give it to me and I'm going to sue you anyway. But it should be. Victims often often have long legal struggles to get their money back. One estimate was that only 1% of federally taken property is ever actually returned to their former owners. Now, I get... Now, I guess I would want to see the breakdown as to when these forfeitures happen in what situations. Are they drug bust? Are they... I've seen it like, and I, I don't want to, it's anecdotal, but I've seen YouTube videos where um, I watch a channel called Audit the Audit. Yeah. Um, go ahead and check that out. Um, essentially, what they do is there's there's people out there that are called First Amendment auditors and Second Amendment auditors. And what they do is they go around towns with cameras um, and they just walk around and see if police try to arrest them or anything like that simply for walking around filming, which is covered under your First Amendment rights. Nonetheless, um, Audit the Audit audits those audits and just kind of breaks down whether the police were in the right, whether the auditor was in the right, so on and so forth. Just wanted to break that down. So it's sort of like catfishing sort of sort of um so then one of the videos that they posted this guy was just driving along and he was pulled over the police suspected him of doing something i can't remember exactly what the what the circumstances were but he had all of his life savings in a duffel bag in the back seat and he was going to purchase something um the police saw that seized it and he ended up having to go to court to battle that. And I, I think he's still fighting to get his money back. But it was like a hundred grand. Hmm. How? Here's the thing: is if that's your life savings, first off, I want to set preface: it's nobody's business why you carry around a hundred thousand yeah. dollars in yeah. cash. No, it's stupid to carry yeah. around a hundred thousand dollars in cash. Yeah, but it's nobody's business. No, nope. if you want to carry around a hundred thousand dollars in cash. By all means. Yeah. Um, who was it? 50 Cent, one of the rappers. He would have a person in his entourage that carried a suitcase around with $100,000 in it at all times. He always had $100,000 on him. 
But that was his right. Maybe he was Amish. <laughs> the Amish do it all the time because <laughs> they don't do banks. So they they um, they keep their cash at home. And then when they go to buy something, they take all the cash with them and they go and they buy it. Yeah, that's they do. Just it's the way common, it, it's, yeah. That's way, the way it works. It might be millions. All I can envision is Hezekiah making it rain. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, because one, <laughs> one of the Amish ladies showed her ankle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Make it rain. Woo! <laughs> Show me that. <laughs> Show me them shins, baby. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I saw a calf. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, um, we went off topic. No, anyway, it does happen where there's no actual perceived criminal activity and the funds are still seized. Yeah. Because you have to... Essentially, what it is is you're guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. You are assume... It, they assume that this money is for crime and you have to prove otherwise. Yeah. Which flies in the face of said Fourth Amendment. Yeah. So that's why we bring that up. Um, there are some exceptions to the Fourth Amendment. I don't want to say exceptions, but they're – it's not really exceptions. It's – the court has decided, excuse me, over the years that there are circumstances in which a warrantless search may be lawful. Um, it depends upon where you're at. Uh, so I'm going to put this up on the screen. This is from uscourts.gov. Um, this is an educational site that just kind of breaks down um, your your legal rights as far as where the search is going to um, take place as to what your rights are. So in your home, um, there are exceptions to the Fourth Amendment but it has to meet certain criteria. Number one, we've already talked about if an officer is given consent, we don't give legal advice here, here on between the lines. So none of this should ever be considered to be any kind of legal advice by any stretch of the imagination. However, um, if I would give any kind of advice to anyone, never give consent to a search, even if you've done nothing wrong, just, make them get a warrant, never give consent to a search because there's literally millions of pages of text in U.S. case law and and law and precedent, and there's no way that you can know all of those laws. I would think, too, from the perspective of having a paper trail. Yeah. Because whenever – I know that there's reports that have to be written up after these instances. But, but the who's same writing time, the report? Yeah. So – Basically, a warrant would be almost like kind of like a stamp of approval from an, a non-biased party. Yes. At least as non-biased as you're yeah. supposed to be. Judges, for the most part, judges can be pretty non-biased. Like I was – I called for jury duty, uh, had to go up and the judge, uh, Judge Brown, he's the senior judge in Lycoming County, actually had to come out of retirement because we're, we're down two judges. But um, Judge Brown said – he says, it's not my job um, to assist the state or the county in this case in prosecuting the defendant. My job is to make sure that both sides, the prosecution and the defense, are both following the law. Yeah. My job is not to 
even though I'm a judge, he says, my, my job is not to make a decision as to whether or not this man committed the crime or not. That's what the jury's for. It's your job to decide whether or not he does that. And then it's my job to, you know, kind of keep everything in order and so on and so forth. He says, but we're fortunate to live in a country where you have the right to a jury trial. And that means something. Uh, and the point was, it was long and drawn out, but the point was, is that he was, he was unbiased yeah, and he was impartial. Yeah. And he, he was very adamant about the, um, any, any citizen in the United States is innocent until proven guilty. And we have to adhere to that in order to make a functional judicial system and a fair democracy. I think the only time a judge gets in directly involved in the decision is sentencing. Even that is up to the jury. Everything yeah. is up to the jury unless the defendant waives their right to a jury trial. Yeah. You're allowed to waive your right to a jury trial and let a judge decide. But there are some that go to summary judgment. There are some yes. that, you know, I mean, there is exceptions basically yeah. to. But uh, there are exceptions. Um, but for the most part, there's a trial. Yeah. And then the jury decides the guilty verdict, either guilty or non, non not guilty. And then the jury also decides the sentencing yeah and then all the judges therefore is just to make sure that it's all legal and that nobody um that nobody goes outside the bounds that they all follow the rules of the court and so on and so forth um and there are circumstances though like when summary judgments and things like that it would be more like in a case when it goes to like arbitration yes or when the two parties actually just hash it out in a room basically and again even in even in yeah arbitration and deliberations and stuff like that but even in civil cases, yeah, it's still everything is still up to a jury, which is which is great. Um, I I wholeheartedly agree with that that part of our judicial system, and I hope that that stays. Uh, I hope that that stays the same because you're. I would never personally myself. I would never. I would never allow my judgment to be done by one person, judge or not. You know, I want, I want 12. Yeah. I want 12 of my peers. 12 angry men. In that. Yeah. I want, (laughs) I want them in that box um, because there's more of a chance. If all 12 people don't agree, you're, you're innocent. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to have a unanimous decision by the jury. So that's a, that's another right, but um, never give consent to a search. Yeah. I guess is the, is the point that we're trying to make, make them do their job. That's why, that's why we pay them. Um, The second is if the search, and this is again to just to recap, um, this is inside your home, uh, and searches the, the a quote from this page searches and seizures in a home without a warrant are presumptively unreasonable. Um, and that was a decision made in Peyton v. New York in 1980. Um, but the second exception is. If the search is incident to a lawful arrest. Um, so what that means um, is if, let's just say I earlier I used the example as let's say there's a d- domestic disturbance and the police have to enter a home to arrest a spouse, male or female, I'm not judging, um, for uh, abuse of their of their other spouse. And that would give them reasonable um 
reasonable suspicion to create a search because they're already there arresting somebody for domestic abuse. Gotcha. So they could search the person. Um, they could pat down the person that's under arrest and they can search the immediate area of the arrest. Meaning, let's say you get arrested in the living room. They can search the living room. Does that mean that they can search the bathroom, the bedroom, uh, the basement, the attic no. without a warrant? No. They can search the immediate area that the arrest occurred in. And flies. Um, but other than that, that's that's it. So gotcha. the, the area of the arrest and the immediate person. Um, if there, And also the third exception, if there's probable cause to a search and exigent circumstances. Um, I do want to go over exigent circumstances because that's very important. A lot of people believe that um, police at any time need a warrant to enter your home. And that's not true. There's what's called exigent circumstances. And exigent circumstances by legal definition are circumstances that would cause a reasonable person to believe that entry or other relevant prompt action was necessary to prevent physical harm to the officers or other persons, the destruction of relevant evidence, the escape of a suspect, or some other consequence improperly frustrating legitimate law enforcement efforts. So meaning uh, cops get called to a house. We'll use the same example. Cops get called to a house for domestic disturbance. The door's locked. When they pound on the door, nobody answers the door. However, they can hear screaming in a back room. They have exigent circumstances. A reasonable person would believe that entry was necessary to prevent physical harm to another person. So they hear the screaming in the background. They have every right to kick down that door and go in and see what's going on because they've already been called. There's reasonable suspicion that a crime is being committed and they can hear somebody in distress in the background. But I think that, just not to cut you off, but I think that's an important piece is that they've already been called. Yes. Yeah. So because, I mean, there's pieces where they're going on site to investigate something but haven't been called yep. into like a protective stance i guess you would say the um the courts however have ruled they give a wide berth to police officers in this in this category it is on a case-by-case -case basis yeah. too but they give a wide margin to police so even if a police officer is walking by and hears screaming coming from a house knocks on the door is concerned for the safety of the people inside nobody answers the door looks through the window, can't see anything. An argument could be made that the courts would rule that he would have exigent circumstances to kick down that door, even though he wasn't called to that house. Or let's say he was called to the neighbor's house for an unrelated issue yeah. and heard something. Go the, the point is, is he can't just enter the house just because he, let's say he just walks up to the door, pounds on the door and nobody answers. That's not exigent circumstances. Yeah. So he can't enter. Let's say there was a domestic call and nobody answers the door. Like, let's say a, a, a spouse calls 911 because they're being abused. Yeah. The officer responds and nobody answers the door. He doesn't hear screaming. He doesn't hear anything, but nobody answers the door. He still does not have exigent circumstances just because of a phone call. Yeah. He still has to get a warrant in order to enter the home to check it out. Um, so there's it's it's very 
Very particular. I think in the grand scheme of things, all of these situations would end up being overseen by a judge. Yes. And that's exactly why we have the judicial system. Um, and then it becomes a thing where um, what's the uh, – there's the there's a legal concept called uh, fruit from a poison tree or something along those lines. I can't remember the exact – let me see if I can look it up while I'm talking. But um, the, the point is, is fruit from a poison tree – Fruit from a poisonous tree doctrine, also known as a derivative evidence doctrine, is a rule in criminal law that makes evidence that was derived from an illegal search arrest or interrogation inadmissible in court. So if probable cause and, and exigent circumstances and all this stuff are, not are followed but they're not established, then anything that is found during an illegal search is tossed out and can't be used as evidence. So even if... Even if Pablo Escobar is in Cleveland, Ohio, and the police kick down his door and find 300 tons of cocaine sitting on his couch and his face is all white. They didn't have a warrant. Say hello to my So everything friend. that they found inside that house is now inadmissible, so he can't be charged with any of it. Well, that's why they TV shows don't do some of that stuff justice, you know, especially with, like, um, the renegade cops that go busting into people's homes yep. and acquire evidence and it's like well 90 percent of what sorry they but everything you just found is, is inadmissible. inadmissible yeah so, so they're gonna go free so basically you might have had evidence now you don't have evidence i will say like that law and order is pretty accurate yeah when it comes to that stuff because some of them I've try seen a lot of episodes where oh you you didn't have probable cause or Especially special victims unit because they they bust in trying to save the little girl or yeah, whatever and yeah. catch the catch the criminal in the act, but there was no search warrant. Yeah. So everything that you saw is inadmissible. Yeah. So it's the guy goes gets gets off on the on the charges. That's why it's very important for for to hire good cops because if they don't follow the rules, criminals go free. Um, there's a couple cases. I don't. I know you got a couple. No, just keep keep going. There's a couple cases that I think are uh, kind of important to what we're discussing here today, and I think this one directly relates is Carpenter versus United States. That was the case back in 2018 that related to obtaining a warrant to install cameras, unblinking cameras, to oh. monitor a home. Oh, okay. So there was actually a, a 3-3 split in the uh, Court of Appeals for the First Circuit uh, where the decision or the, the debated piece was on whether or not a warrant is required when government targets an individual's home for long-term unblinking camera surveillance. And then the district court had answered to paraphrase, of course, of course it is. So basically this, this whole piece was... Um, kind of goes back to the cell site location. So this was being used, the the case law or the precedent that was being followed prior to this decision in 2018 had a lot to do with identifying cells. Okay. Like terroristic yeah. cells, yep. site location. So does the suspicion of a law enforcement agency, whether that be FBI or NSA or whoever it is that's involved in that situation, does their do they have the legal right to go and monitor a house based solely on suspicion? And there is generally a lot of, no. 
No, and that's this is one of those things where the whole Patriot Act and things that kind of subsequent subsequently kind of dripped off of it, you know, turned into this just carte blanche, you know, we don't give a crap. Safety is more important than rights. So Fourth Amendment gets trampled trampled on pretty extensively with yeah. the Patriot Act, yeah. you know, it, and I think that's I important. really hope uh, I really hope that with this um, fresh wave of constitutional decisions from the Supreme Court that the Patriot Act is uh, looked at and um, looked at heavily because I really feel like if it's if it's looked at from a purely constitutional standpoint, that's a general warrant. Yeah, it is. Because you're basically just capturing everything. Yeah, you're you're casting a wide net and hoping that you catch a fish. Is is what you're I mean. Doing. The the truth of it is, is if they got a warrant to install a camera, it would probably, if they really wanted to be legal, they would have to approach the homeowners and be like, "Listen, we think there's suspicious activity going on in your home. Yeah. We're gonna need to either access the cameras that are already there, or B, we're gonna have to install a camera." Yeah. I mean, to me. If they can establish the precedent to be able to go in there. Now, granted, once the homeowner is made aware of that, I guarantee you there's not going to be any more illicit activity going on in in that facility. Yep. Yep. So you gotta you gotta question at that point is like, you know, I don't know. It 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 sounds like entrapment. It sounds like an an opportunity for entrapment. Definitely an opportunity. So Yeah. One thing that they they can do is you can get can't remember what they call it but you can get a it's not called a general warrant but you can ask a judge for i can't remember there's there's something that gives you an opportunity to get evidence to get a warrant and maybe i'm pulling this out of thin air but i do remember that there's something that can be done i can't remember what it's called though um, but at any rate, what what they can do is they can, if there's suspicion that a crime is being committed, like organized crime, yeah. is what you're like what you're yeah. what you're describing, then a warrant can be issued for the installation of cameras, I believe. So, like, you can get a warrant to sneak into somebody's house and install cameras, and then. It, it falls under the wiretapping. I don't know if they if if they can install cameras or if they can just monitor, like call monitor phone calls. Yeah, and I think that they can get with a warrant. Like, let's say you have what's what's the um, Brinks Home Security. Let's say you have Brinks at your house. The um, FBI or state police or whatever can contact Brinks. And serve a warrant to Brinks for your security system. You got to remember, Dave, <laughs> that uh, a lot of the people, you know, a lot of the common citizens don't have the knowledge that we have to set up their own camera systems. Yeah. So they well, end up having a company say. come in like Brinks or Select Security or something like that. And then they, they have access to your camera systems. Well, there was a time when... 
those type of systems were so outrageously priced that you yes. would have to get them through a third party. That's the only way that you could now do it at because one point. of the you know how technology has gone wireless and all that. I other mean, stuff. you could you could set up your own pretty advanced security system for yeah. a fraction of the cost. You know, um, when it comes down to it. I can't remember the name of the security company that does it, but there's a security company that sells an entirely wireless package, um, and the cameras come with double sided tape. So, like, all you do is you place the cameras where you want to put them, and then the system pretty much sets itself up because it's all wireless. Hmm. So you just take the that's pretty back cool. off the tape, and you can just stick it wherever you want. Well, there's those, uh, what do they call them, the Orbeez or whatever they are or yeah. something. Basically, they're magnetic, so you just, put the, along you just put the mount up, and it magnets in. Yeah. But let me, real quick, let me Go bring ahead. this case, yeah. this other case up because this yeah. is a little different of a situation. This was from... 2022. This was actually July 7th. Recent. So, um, very recent. So Sheridan, uh, sixth judicial district court judge, Matthew Castano heard arguments from parties in the criminal case of Sean, uh, Kobolutz 38 Wednesday regarding a motion to suppress certain evidence under the fourth amendment's prohibition against unreasonable searches and seizures. Uh, Kobolutz, I'm probably effing up his name is accused of three counts of voyeurism. Listen to this. Each felony is punishable by up to two years in prison, a $5,000 fine or both. Uh, The court documents allege that the defendant installed three camera-enabled alarm clocks throughout his home, including two in the restrooms, to record private behaviors without the consent of other household members. Now it doesn't say who these other household members are. I my guess is that they were just roommates or people that were living on the property. They weren't family yeah. or anything. So basically, what happens is they they're one of the victims that becomes aware of that this taping that's going on. Basically, takes the SD card out of one of the cameras or all the cameras. I can't remember how it happened, but basically, they dropped them off at the Sheridan County Sheriff's um, office. When Malkin, um, uh, so basically, the fight now that's happening is the 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 accused is now fighting for the retrieval or the withholding of the video footage off of those SD cards because it wasn't consent. It was basically a third party that lived within the house that didn't have right to the house yeah. and the property yeah. that took the camera footage and put it into. Now, here's my thing. This is where it gets fuzzy. If they just had, if he had, if this was a house where he, you have roommates, you know, you have multiple rooms and you have other people staying in it, subletters, I guess you could call them, and you have cameras in the hallways or cameras in kind of like the more general public areas, I don't think that would be such a problem. I think my problem was that he had them in the bathrooms. Yeah, in private areas. So, yeah, you're allowed to, um, if you have a common house, you're allowed to put cameras in common areas because the courts have specified even in a, in a private home, there are certain areas in a private home where you have no expectations of privacy. Yeah. Um, for instance, if you're a guest at somebody's home and they have cameras throughout their house, they don't have to disclose to you that there's cameras in their in their house. Yeah. In common areas. However, if you're going to put cameras in the bathroom, yeah. in places where generally people have an expectation of privacy, 
that's where you're, yes. that's where you're going to run into trouble, even in your own home. Yeah. Because pe- unless you have a sign on the door, on the bathroom door that says this, this room is under audio and video surveillance, then they have no expectation of privacy. But that's the thing is like most people that install cameras in their homes. Let's say yeah. it's, let's say it's just a, f- a one family occupancy type of thing. It's yep. not like multiple different private individuals sure. inside of one location. Typically, those cameras are going to be in the general use areas. They're going to be maybe in the yep. kitchen. They're going to be maybe in the dining room. They're going to be most at most outside, maybe in the bedroom, maybe maybe, in the bedroom. but very like, seldom. Have I would put them in the bedroom uh, if I not pointing at the bed. I'm not Larry Flint, but I would have them like my gun safe is generally in my bedroom. Yeah. My my wife's jewelry is generally yeah. in the bedroom. Not giving any hints to criminals, but. I would have a camera pointed at that stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would say too, like if you have a really young child. Yeah. You know, that's. Yeah. Like a, like an infant. Yeah. Uh, Cause you, you already have baby monitors and yeah, stuff. So, so it's no different. No different than that. But in this so particular case, that's why I say I, there, it seems to me as if these individuals were all private individuals that lived in one facility were subletting or renting yeah. from him. Now a landlord is not allowed to install cameras. Yeah. In your apartment, no. even in the common areas, without your knowledge. And even if you have knowledge of said cameras, the landlord is not allowed to have access to those cameras without your permission. So if he decides to install a security system in that apartment, we'll call it, he's not allowed to have access to those cameras inside the home. Because whatever you, you the reason you're paying rent for that home is you're for paying privacy. for privacy. When you rent a home, that is yours. You have every right to that apartment the same as if you own it. A landlord can't give consent for the police to search an apartment any more than I can give permission for police to search your home. Yeah. Because it doesn't belong to them. I mean, the land belongs to them, but they leased out the apartment. So when you lease something to somebody, it belongs to them for that period of time. You know, legally, it's you still maintain ownership of it, meaning it still belongs to you, but you don't have rights to it while yeah. they're leasing it. That makes sense. You know, because you can't you can't lease somebody a car and then say, oh, well, I don't want you. Yeah. You, you driving know, it driving on Tuesdays. It on Tuesdays. Yeah. You know, you can't do that unless it's explicitly in the document when they sign it. So if you yeah read your lease Consent. because read your lease because if you sign a lease that says that the landlord is allowed to monitor your activity inside your home because you didn't read the fine print and they put it in there hey i have cameras in there and i'm allowed to watch them Document, whenever i want documentation yeah. is consent always have somebody t- look over your lease but that's then it's legal because you've given consent uh and that that's another point that i wanted to bring up real quick while we're while we're taking a little break is um, one of the last exceptions for searches in your home is if the items are in plain view. So if uh, if uh, an officer happens to walk by your living room or your house and you're in the living room picture window with a giant bong smoking reefer, um, that's in plain view. Yeah. You know, and let's assume you're in a state where it's illegal. It's still in plain view. Therefore... He now has every right to come in the house and arrest you because you're in possession of an illegal substance in plain view. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the uh, 
the, the exceptions for the searches on your person become a little bit more strict. Your immediate person is the, the most private thing that you own. Yeah. Your, your immediate body is the most intimate thing in your life. Um, so You the, can't go digging through my prison pocket without that's, prior that's, consent. That's right. <laughs> um, when an officer observes unusual conduct, which leads him to reasonably conclude that criminal activity may be afoot. I love it when they use that. Afoot. So it sounds so Dick Tracy. Um, conclude yeah, that criminal she... activity can, may be afoot. The, but what if it's a hand? I mean, com, you know, you can kick somebody and the criminal activity would be a foot. But what if you slap somebody? Then it would be a hand, like Will or Smith. If it's a, or if it's a fist. It's a fist. Yeah. Keep my wife's name I'm sorry. out your fucking mouth. I'm sorry, Will. I'm sorry. Where All his right? Fourth Amendment rights. I'm sorry. Offended. <laughs> Um, so conclude that criminal activity may be afoot. The officer may briefly stop the suspicious person and make reasonable inquiries aimed at confirming or dispelling the officer's suspicion. And that's called a Terry stop, uh, because it was decided in Terry v. Ohio in 1968 and then affirmed again, uh, Minnesota v. Dickerson. Thanks, in Terry. 1993. Um, so essentially a cop sees you, uh, with a, Clothes hanger trying to break into a car. Uh, the officer approaches you and says, "Hey, uh, what are you what are you doing here?" And you say, "Oh, I I locked my keys in in my car and I'm trying to get my keys out of the car." So originally, the reason he had a reason to stop you was because he believed he had a reasonable belief, a reasonable suspicion that you were in the commission of a crime. Uh, Breaking and entering. So the real way to commit that crime is that you stand out in front of the car you want. You wait for a cop to pull up. And then you proceed to ask them nicely if they can help you get back into the car. So thereby, by act of... Yeah. <laughs> the cop has committed the crime. <laughs> but then they're going to they're gonna run the plates and see if I it belongs. I, I get you. I get you. It was funny. Um, however, um, as soon as the cop... Like, let's say the cop does, that does happen. The cop runs your tags and sees that you do own the vehicle and you need to get into your car. He no longer has the suspicion of a crime and he cannot arrest you for said crime. However, if he runs the tags and it belongs to your friend or your brother, not you, then he has the right to arrest you under suspicion of breaking and entering because you don't own the car. Gotcha. Just clarifying. Yeah. Um, in school, uh, for all of you students, school officials need not obtain a warrant before searching a student who is under their authority. Rather, a search of a student need only be reasonable under all the circumstances. So therefore, and this is, this is on a case to case basis because we just actually watched a video about, um, a girl that was searched, uh, the school thought that she had ibuprofen, uh, hidden on her. Uh, which was uh, banned at the school, students carrying ibuprofen, which is at most schools. Like my kid's not even allowed to carry chapstick mm. because it's it's a medicine. So mm. we have to send it with them with a note. They have to give it to the nurse. And if he wants chapstick, he has to go to the nurse to have chapstick <laughs> applied. Isn't that stupid? Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, at any rate, they thought that this geez. they thought that this girl had ibuprofen. So they took her into a room, made her shake out her bra and her underwear and uh, all this other stuff. They sued the school and won because the Supreme Court decided that that was unreasonable um, and 
not only that, but humiliating. Yeah. Um, so they they decided that that was an unreasonable search, and and they won. But schools in general have a very wide berth um, and wide margins as far as what they're allowed to search because it is their property after all. Yeah. Um, so like they can search your locker without a warrant because they own the locker. They're just allowing you to use it. Yeah. Um, so on and so forth. Uh, your car, you you pretty much get the same protections in your car as you do uh, in your home. So I'm not really going to go too too deep into this. Um, the the only thing that I want to mention is uh, if it's just a normal traffic stop, then the police are limited as to what they can search for because there's not a whole lot of evidence that can be derived physically uh, for a traffic stop. Like you don't have to search a car for speeding. You don't have to search a car because they ran a stop sign. Uh, things along those lines. There's no um, there's no evidentiary compulsion to search the car because you're not going to gain anything from a traffic stop. However, if you happen upon a traffic stop and they roll down the window and it's like up in smoke and smoke billows out of their car and you definitely Is it cheech and chong yeah, exactly and they're like hey man how's it going isn't, isn't the isn't the license on the bumper if they they start saying like that then then yeah okay so you you, you now have reasonable suspicion well you got to wonder what border patrols are allowed to do because ah. It's a good question. Because of all the potential for trafficking of illegal substances. Yes. So, uh, I know the answer to that. Um, Border Patrol agents are also given a little bit more leeway within, I believe it's 100 miles. Within 100 miles of the border, they have a right to ask for your citizenship status. Um, So, if they pull you over... um, what the hell was that? I was getting puberty there for a second. If they pull you over, um, they have a right to ask for your citizenship. Citizenship. Shit in Zen. <laughs> Ship. Citizenship status. Um, and so on and so forth. But technically, you really don't have to give it if you haven't been. Because the the, the Fourth Amendment also protects you. In that in, in in that sense, the Fifth Amendment protects you as well because you can't be held a witness. We'll get into that next episode. But um, so they can ask for your citizenship status, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to provide it. They can't they can't hold you specifically for that reason, but they do have a little bit more leeway within a hundred miles of the border. Um, and then if your citizen citizenship is in question, then they can search the vehicle. So there, there are some caveats for that. Yeah. But even even non citizens are. What's great about this country is even non citizens are afforded the same rights as citizens of the United States. So okay. even if you're even if you are an illegal immigrant, they they can ask for your citizenship status, but you don't have. You don't have to answer them because you have the right to remain silent. Yeah. So it's up to the. It's always up to the state or the. Um, it's always up to the authority to prove that you're that you're not where you're supposed to be. So I guess um, just spinning around to the top of this, these pieces again. Um, the very first piece of the Fourth Amendment, talking about the security of your person. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that conflict with no knock warrants? Well, um, because that's a big contested piece nowadays. No knock warrants um, are 
they're becoming less and less used, yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, the reason why they're constitutionally legal is because of uh, what we discussed earlier is exigent circumstances. So no-knock warrants are usually only granted when um, it's believed that evidence could be destroyed. So let's say you're you're going to serve a warrant on a meth lab or a meth dealer or something along those lines. If you knock and wait for them to answer the door, they could be flushing the product down the toilet while yeah you, you, while they're waiting to answer the door. So they they execute a no-knock warrant and just kick in the door and then serve the warrant after the fact. It it used to be in in its infancy that was um, used very rarely, um, and then it became very 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 popular throughout the late '90s, early 2000s, to where it was almost standard practice no-knock warrants because it was believed that it was safer for the officers to surprise the person and you know you know not allow them if it is a criminal not allow them time to either destroy evidence or or um, you know weapon up so, yeah. to, so to speak yeah. so but after the i believe it was brianna taylor after the brianna taylor case they revisited no knock warrants even though you know that case was very mis mis um represented in the media and things like that there were a lot of things she wasn't just some innocent bystander um like everyone believes now she she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but it's not like the officers kicked down the door and, and just started shooting. Um, they were being shot at through the door. The boyfriend of Brianna Taylor was shooting at the officers through the door and they were returning fire and she happened to get hit by return fire. It could be argued, should they have fired through a closed door? Probably not. Um, but they were being fired at through yeah, a closed that's door. It'd be so, different if they weren't being fired on. Yeah. So, even in my opinion, even when being fired at, I mean, I, I can say that I've never been fired upon, but. Well, yeah, because one of the things, too, is you don't know if it's a hostage situation. Yeah, exactly. What if what if they placed a bunch of kids in front of the door yeah. and they're just shooting at That's the door just... like a like a Waco type situation where they're using. Well, I guess Waco is a bad example, but there's there's been examples where like especially terrorists in Afghanistan and whatnot that are that keep children in their immediate oh, yeah. vicinity so that they can use can't them be... as human shields exactly. essentially. So that could have been the case. So, but no knock warrants are, are just a bad idea. Um, not only that, but there have been a number of officers killed because um, citizens defend their homes. If somebody kicks in my door in the middle of the night, I'm not going to ask questions. I'm not going to say, Oh, are you, are you, are you a police officer, sir? no, I'm going to start shooting first yeah. and then ask questions later because, hey, somebody just kicked in my fucking door. You yeah. know what I mean? So um, so the police run the risk of getting themselves absolutely. hurt in those situations. And but the number, problem is, is situations like that never end well. No. And a number of a number of states have actually enacted laws where if, if a warrant is served on the wrong property and a citizen kills an officer, they're not they're not liable for the mistake the officers are liable for the mistake they they entered the wrong home and the homeowner was well within his rights to fire back now i think the supervisors that made the call to do that should be as much absolutely in as much trouble yep, as there should be there should be some um 
recourse yeah for that some punishment some severe punishment yeah because that's i mean that's that's a basic tenet of american liberty is that your the fourth amendment is very important the founding fathers probably would have put that first if they if they didn't believe that you know the right to speak uh, the right to your um guns and the army can't live in your house <laughs> the army can't <laughs> live in your house Obviously, it's number four. They thought those three things were more important. So my doorbell rang, (laughs) and it was the 101st Airborne, and they were like, permission to live in your house. And I was like, Third Amendment. Third Amendment. (laughs) He's invoked the Third Amendment. I love love that bit. There's there's two cases I wanted to throw up here real quick. So, like, there was a case that actually happened on December 17th, 2020. So, fairly recent. And it was pretty similar to Brianna Taylor. His uh, the person's name was Johnny Bolton. Uh, he was a work. He worked at a car wash, Georgia. It always happens in Georgia. Yeah, right. It was about seventeen miles outside of Georgia, a little town called Smyrna. Um, anyways, the, as the story goes, it was. Um, I'll just read the verbatim. Like Taylor Bolton was lying down when this happened. He was sleeping, supposedly taking a nap. Only he had laid on the couch of an unofficial Georgia boarding house instead of in a bedroom. So the I, I'm trying to understand the context of this. You know, he lied down on a couch inside a boarding room. So he was. So he was the, in a boarding house, and the living room would have been a common area. Probably. I'm, I'm assuming just I, by the way that they're framing. I'm that. thinking so. And unfortunately, like Taylor, he was shot and killed just after opening his eyes. Attorney said. Uh, They have had to rely on an autopsy of Bolton, uh, warrant affidavits, and limited information provided by Cobb County officials to piece together what happened the day Bolton died. He was 49 years old and was killed on December 17, 2020. Um, Blah, 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 blah. So no sooner than Bolton stood up, responding to the loud noise of them, the SWAT team, it was a SWAT team that was deployed, knocking on the door, pounding on the door, and then breaking in, uh, no sooner than Bolton stood up responding to the loud noise than did an officer fire hitting him in the chest multiple times. Uh, Zach Greenemeyer, one of the, his family's attorneys, told Daily Koss in a phone interview on Wednesday he didn't move toward officers or anything like that, Greenemeyer said. I, I don't know that the family even had that information. It's like the family wasn't standing there as this happened. So. Yeah. I kind of question the validity of all the facts that are being presented in this interview, but at the same time, you know, if if this is as stated, because it, the basic understanding is that this guy lived with two other residents, I guess they weren't family or anything. I don't know. It's kind of vague as to if this property where they broke into was his original uh, place of living. Um, but they compare it basically to Brianna Taylor is what they do is they compare it to that whole situation. So anyways, there's a very big question as to whether, you know, fourth amendment rights were trampled in that whole situation, ultimately, you know, leading to the killing of somebody who was unarmed. So we don't, I don't, again, I don't know all, all the facts cause this article isn't the most well, yeah. well spun out, but here's another one. Not not a um, similar issue, kind of a distant issue, but nonetheless, uh, this was from CNN on May 17, 2021. The Supreme Court on Monday wiped away a lower court's decision 
They held that law enforcement could enter a Rhode Island man's home and seize his firearms without a warrant after his wife expressed fear that he might harm himself. A lower court had allowed the search, holding that the decision to take the firearms without a warrant fell within the Fourth Amendment's community caretaking exception. Um, But Justice Clarence Thomas, writing for a unanimous Supreme Court, held that the lower court's broad interpretation of the exception goes beyond anything this court has recognized. While the court has recognized that police officers can perform many civic tasks in modern society, there is not an open-ended license to perform them anywhere. Um, The very core of the Fourth Amendment, Thomas wrote, is the right of a man to retreat into his own home and there be free from unreasonable search and seizure. It goes on further. But basically, this idea, because, you know, this has kind of come to the top of the the cream, I guess, or this cream has risen to the top of the the milk, so to speak, with regards to red flag laws. Yes. Um, So that is kind of the big topic of, you know, talking right now is what constitutes a legal red flag, you know. And I think what Thomas established in the context of this decision is that it was the location that pretty much established that this was not a, a rightful action. Uh, in other words, they, on the suggestion of a wife who, yes, is family, but at the same time could be out of her flipping mind. They could be arguing. They yeah. They could be in the middle of a it fight. Could, it could be, you know, there's there's criminals, there's, what do they call it, uh, crime of passion, yep. so to speak. Um, that sometimes ultimately lead up to murder or, you know, we read about it a lot in all the, uh, 20 cents novels that we have out there. But, you know, that being said is that had this been done legally, I think we had talked about this a little bit is that that person would be issued some kind of, uh, summons notification or, or summons to present himself or herself before a judge and then it would be determined at that point if there was legal precedent or if there was if it could be substantiated that there was enough yeah. reason Absolutely. for that to happen. I'm not I'm not against the red flag laws at all. No. Because we already have in essence we already have red flag laws. Yeah. We we really we don't do. call them that. We don't call them that, but in essence we already have those. And even now in the United States if someone goes to a judge and says this person is mentally unstable, they are they are a risk to themselves or others. They don't go seize your guns. What they do is they pick you up and they put you on a seventy-two hour hold. Yeah, and you you go before a judge, and the judge says asks some questions, and then the judge determines whether that hold is reasonable. If they believe it's reasonable, then you're put in a mental institution for 72 hours for observation. If the judge pulls you into a courtroom and is like, there's nothing wrong with this person. This person is perfectly capable of of making decisions on their own and they're 100% in their capacity, then they can throw out that red flag, so to speak. So we already have those laws. Yeah. And I think that would be actually more effective, if you want my opinion. Because I ask, I say this. Um, let's say um, that somebody is concerned that I may harm myself or others. They could go to a judge. The judge um, issues an, uh, or an arrest warrant for a 72-hour hold, brings you before the court, and you get to talk to them. If the judge determines that you need to be held, then it does the same thing, in my opinion, as the red flag laws. Now you're held for 72 hours. Yeah. If, if I'm held, I can't commit a crime during that period. Yes, when I get out, if I, if I have 
bad intentions when I'm when I get off my 72 hour hold. Yes, I suppose I could still commit um, a crime with my weapons um, after that 72 hour hold. However, that 72 hour hold while you're there, if doctors determine that you are mentally unfit, they can involuntarily hold you for longer. You can be committed involuntarily. So if if the issue is mental illness, now then then that would that would um, that would fix the ob- uh, the problem. Now that being said, both of the last two mass shootings in the United States, Buffalo and Uvalde, both of those shooters were detained by law enforcement. Yeah, and both of them were released on their own cognizance. Yeah, so. Obviously, that system can be tricked. Yeah. Um, however, red flag laws could also be manipulated and tricked, and they also could be, um, yeah. you know, uh, manipulated, and 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 there could be errors within those. I guess is what I'm put, what what I'm getting at. Um, the bigger point I think is, I have no problem with the red flag laws. Because we already have them, I just feel like there's there needs to be like we've said it before, due process. There needs to be uh, a a process for me to defend myself. Uh, because I use this example all the time. There are relationships that don't work out, and there are people out there, both men and women, that are vindictive and crazy. Yeah, and it could happen yeah. both ways. Um, Let's. I'll give you. I'll give you a really good example. Um, let's say hypothetically. Uh, I believe this did happen in real life, but I'm but I'm putting it out there as a hypothetical because I don't know all of the details. But let's say hypothetically, there's a couple, and the man in that couple is a piece of shit, and he is beating his wife, and she says that she's going to leave him, and she packs up all her shit and leaves. The first thing he does is he goes to the police precinct and he says that he's in an abusive relationship. His wife just left and he's afraid that she is going to retaliate and hurt him. So the police, through red flag laws, seize her weapons. Now, this abusive piece of shit knows that she has no weapons. And what he can do is he can turn around and he can fucking kill her because she has no weapons. He's used the system now to, uh, you know, manipulate the red flag laws and disarm his victim. That's one scenario. Another scenario that I can, that I can think of in my head. Maybe I'm just fucked up. Maybe that's, (laughs) maybe that's the problem. Maybe I just come up with this stuff in my head. Well, I mean, I know that it's an extreme, but think about the case we just talked about at the beginning of this. Yes. There, this people stuff are happens. people are messed up. Laws are there to <laughs> anticipate the extremes. Exactly. So now uh, let me pose you with a another example. Um, same scenario, sort of. Uh, there's a domestic issue, and um, uh, a man and a woman are arguing or whatever, and the man decides or the it doesn't matter which doesn't matter who it is but they decide that they no longer want to be with the person so in retaliation for the breakup the the girlfriend or boyfriend whichever it is it doesn't really matter 
goes and in retaliation for the breakup decides that they want to put a red flag on that person. So they make a, a report to police officers. Yes, I know making a false report is already illegal, but it happens all the damn time. Um, and in retaliation, they, because they're butt hurt about the broke, the breakup, they have the person red flagged. And now that person has to go through court and do all this stuff just in retaliation for breaking up with them. So I can think of right off the top of my head, two scenarios where the red flag laws could very easily be abused and there would be no recourse. So another thing I think that should be added to red flag laws is some sort of trigger mechanism for abusing red flag laws. There should be a punishment for a false flag. Yeah. Somehow. I was going to say even more than that. Um, I think that the reportee should be held within the same confines as the reported. Okay. In other words, if you're going to report me for being out of touch and harmful to myself, then you ought to be willing to be interviewed yourself by a judge or sure. whoever else. You know what I mean? It should be. And to that point, it should be on record. Yeah. You should under oath. You should have to be sworn in under oath and make that statement under oath so that if if it's found to be untrue, now you've perjured yourself. Yeah, and here's the thing. like, t- Think of it in the context of a medical situation. Say a family member gets somebody to the hospital. Usually because of that person's level of care concern for the person that's being sent to the hospital is going to stay there and wait to go through the details of what needs to happen, figure yep. out paperwork, that kind of stuff. So that being the case, to a, you know, the whole red flag thing is not there is a revenge piece. It's not supposed to be a revenge piece because that's what you're getting at is that it ought never to be used in an abusive form. If it is, you're going to easily be able to identify the individuals that are usual or utilizing it in yes. that way. Yep. Because they're the ones that are going to be like one of those drop and rolls. Mm-hmm. They're going to drop their information and try to piece out, yep. you know, before anything happens. Because their goal is basically to get it back at the person, not to help them. It's the same as swatting somebody. Exactly. Calling the SWAT team, yeah. and reporting that you know Tim Pool has actually had been on air and had to it had to cut his podcast in the middle of recording because the SWAT team showed up at his oh at his studio more than once Stocksing. more than once Stocksing. yeah he's he's being swatted people are calling the SWAT team and saying that there's hostages and all this other stuff and then it's not the SWAT team's fault they have to respond if somebody says there's a hostage situation you have to assume that it's true you know what i mean so there needs to be the problem is in those situations, there's always there's already damage done. Yeah. There's nothing you can really do about the damage done in those situations. The thing is, is that due diligence would lead them to go and find who it was that started the whole mess. And then they should get twice, twice the retribution or twice yeah. the, well, the repercussions the, from what they've done. The, the thing about it is what worries me, and it should worry everybody, is... SWAT teams, by their nature, are trigger happy. 
not because they want to be, not because they're excited to be out there and, and excited to kill somebody. For, yeah. yeah, they're trained for that. Not only that, but they're being told that they're walking into an extremely dangerous situation. So before they even get on site, they're mentally preparing for war. Well, if you think of, uh, we always talk about what, what acts as a catalyst in a situation, something that's introduced into a scenario or into an environment that ultimately sends something over the edge or into a spilling point. So the a SWAT team would be like the anti, the antithetical catalyst. You know, they're sent in as an extreme to combat an extreme, essentially. Yes. Yeah. So in order, you have to have something pretty volatile to send into a situation like that to yeah. combat it. So to your point, yes. I mean, they're there. Yeah. They're ready to go. You so, know. so they're already walking into the situation on edge because that's their job is yeah. to be on edge. And they're probably in 98% of the time, they're walking into some shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a very high probability that if somebody is swatted, um, and for those that are unfamiliar, being swatted is um, it's a term for it's an internet term for calling the police and reporting a crime to which the SWAT team has to respond, um, like hostage situation, bomb situation, things like that. It happens all the time, mostly in the gaming community. Believe that's, it or not, that's why if you're gonna go public with like YouTube or anything, yes. don't ever post. Don't ever post your address. Yeah, uh, we don't never. do it here, and we never will. Yeah, we'll, we'll never let you guys know where where we're at. Um, not because we don't want you guys to know, but it's not our fans that we're worried about. Yeah. It's the, the people that don't like what we're saying and things like that. Not that we're big targets. We're, <laughs> we're nobodies, but, yeah. but that's still, yeah, that's it, the idea. Th- that's the idea and it's our protection. But my point is, is when you swat somebody like that, there is a huge potential for catastrophe. Oh yeah. There's. Like the like the gentleman you brought up, all he was doing was sleeping. SWAT came in, he stood up and was shot because those SWAT members are on edge. So they have to assume that when they walk into a situation, that that person's not going to be happy that they're there. Yeah. You well, know that's I mean? the thing. It's like imagine taking the person that was part of the discussion with the Rhode Island man. And let's say we blended him with this Johnny Bolton in Atlanta. Say that was the same guy. Well, he, we knew he had guns. Yep. We knew he was ready to go if yep. somebody broke into his home. So them breaking into this home. Again, I don't know the details of this Johnny Bolton situation. I'd have to read more into it. But just on the surface, if that were the same scenario, there could have been several cops dead Yeah. You know, as a result of it. Mm-hmm. So, And that's the point is that, um, you know, there's got to be – I think it really, you know – we want the law to be quick enough to react in these situations to where they can get ahead of things. But at the same time, there's got to be an element of slowness to the process, too, that allows enough for specifics to be hashed out. You know, in other words, that the details are, are corroborated, that they're, you know, we know exactly what we're going after, that it's true, this isn't false, you know, that type of thing. We've got plenties of checks and balances there before we move out unfortunately our law enforcement system is very reactionary um but that's i feel like that's by design it should be reactionary and not proactive because when you start getting into proactive policing then it's minority report then it's minority report yeah. your, your thought policing tom people. cruise is going to show up in your home exactly. one morning exactly yeah. and and you can't you can't do that no you can't do that but that's i that was kind of the thing is that the fourth amendment takes into consideration the fact 
of a very simple underlying piece is that you will never make illegal wrongdoing yeah. to the point to where it never happens again. The, and that's the thing is like the utopian mindset. And I know I'm scaling this out a little sure, further. No, than, I know, but the, I see where you're going. the utopian mindset, or in other words, the let's say Canada, <laughs> huh. Canada, yeah, you know, the utopian mindset that Trudeau has, you know, in his mentality is that the tighter he brings in the reins with regards to what you're allowed to do legally as a human being, the better they are off in terms of safety. You know, their safety is so much more important than your ability to live as a human being. The fourth amendment is key. And of course we'll talk about the fifth and sixth, yeah. which kind of lend into the fourth yep. amendment very yep. closely. Yep. But at the same time is that you see that the fourth amendment represents a very, very simple principle idea is that you will never outlaw wrong. No, you will never delete it. You will never get rid of it. Yeah. That's why the second amendment was at the top of the list because it knew the Fourth Amendment was there to protect. Uh, it, it knew the Second Amendment was established in light of what the Fourth Amendment was written because of. The Fourth Amendment was written because the Founding Fathers knew based off of history is that you could never have a society in which there was never any wrong. You just were not going to accomplish it. Is it wrong to hope for that? No. But at the same time, is it practical to hope for it? I would say yes. Um, yeah. Well, it's or is it practical? Practical to hope for it? I would say no. Just a just a little anecdotal story that feeds into this. Um, I can't remember who it was, but when I was younger, there was a, we were having a topic, a, a, a discussion on the topic of cancer, and very innocently, the the child speaks up trying to trying to be an adult. I can't remember even which one of my cousins it was or how old they were. Um, but they speak up trying to engage in the conversation thinking that they're smart. And they they very proudly stand up, puff out their chest, and they say, why don't they just make cancer illegal? <laughs> yeah. That's that's the point. Yeah. You can't. You can't. Yeah. So it's the same thing with guns and drugs and, and robbery and murder and all that stuff is you can make them illegal. That's not going to stop them. No, it's That's not, not going to stop them. All it's going to do is punish people that commit those crimes. It's not going to stop that crime from happening. It's no, not. And it's just, it, it's that, it's that attempt of knowing better for everybody else. It's that really overarching. I mean, that, I mean, when it really comes down to it again, the constitution and the bill of rights were written on the side of the individual. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no if, ands or buts about that. There's no, there's not very many national laws. When you look at it from a world perspective that are written with the intent of believing that the individual is more important yeah. than the state. And that's exactly why I say all the time that our constitution is unique Yes, other countries have constitution. There's a there's a Jim Jeffries joke where he says he's Australian and he's like, "You guys think that you're the only ones with a constitution? Yeah. You know, we have a constitution too, and you know, you guys are in love with your constitution, thinking it's so special, but we have one too. Other countries have constitutions. They do, but they're not like our constitution. Yeah. If our rights were given us given to us by the government, why would the government limit?" Their powers. 
They wouldn't, because our Constitution is not given to us by the government. The Constitution is written by the people. Yeah. That's why it starts with, we the people. Yeah. Because the people make the rules in the United States, Well, when not you, the other way around. When you change your mentality around government being a necessary evil, because that's what it is. It is. When you when you change your mentality around government going from being a necessary evil to just being a necessity, then you don't understand you will not understand the reason why the constitution was written the way it was. Yep. Because we had however many people that were involved in writing the constitution that wrote it with the specific mentality is that government is evil, but it's necessary. Yes. And they were erring more on the side of evil Yep, because they had come from governments that were evil. Well, even um, – I don't want to step on you, but they even said – George Washington is famous for saying that um, – and I'm paraphrasing because I, I don't know his words verbatim. But eventually, a government will become tyrannical. Yeah. It, yeah. It just will. It's just its natural if course. Given, if left to its own devices, a government will become tyrannical. It's just the the natural course of authority. Authority will always try to give itself more authority. And the Constitution was put in place to try to curb that and try to limit the amount to which a government can become tyrannical. It's also why in the Declaration of Independence, they specifically say that a government is given its power not by God or by design, but by the people that are governed the, the the consent of the governed i think is the, the the term that they used and when that government becomes abusive it's not only the right of the people but the duty to abolish it and replace it with a government that yeah. will protect their rights so it was inherent to the founding fathers that government not only not only is um you know evil but it even in the best of circumstances, will always become tyrannical. It's just the nature of authority. Authority well, will never cede its will never see its power back. Something that a lot of people don't recognize is the fact is the government has a monthly issue. It's called PMS, power, money, and sex. <laughs> so basically those three things you can never separate. And I'm not saying that every single person in government is driven by one of three of those or all of those goals. But at the end of the day, if you look at it, most of what drives a government to push the envelope with regards to what kind of limitations it sets on its citizens are driven by those simplistic ideas. Oh, yeah. I mean, Justin Trudeau, in his mind, he's power hungry. Yep. I don't care what you say. He's yep. power hungry. He thinks he so, knows better. So, And the thing of it is, is back to what we had, I think we said this in some context, is that the government never adheres to its own rules. It never believes like the Senate, like we were talking about with the Senate and its amnesty with regards to parking and driving yeah. laws and other things that they're considered um, protected from, even though they, they are laws that they pass to keep the citizens in line, so to speak. So whenever you have a person elevate himself or herself above the very... Uh, above the laws that they're enacting, you have to, at the very first question, what's their intent in their role? Yeah. Because it immediately, immediately, I don't care how passive Trudeau is or yeah. anybody like him. 
you know, I know I'm focusing on Trudeau a lot, but Trudeau, he's the he freshest ir- example. He irks me. Yeah. I mean, he just irks me. He's like, he's like this little pansy on the playground that tattletales on all the kids, but has the four biggest guys surrounding him at all times with the very guns that he doesn't want anybody his, else to have. His dad was a communist, I believe. Oh, yeah. They was part of the Communist Party yeah. or the Socialist, whatever the party whatever. was called yeah. during that time. He's He just he became more mainstream by join, joining the Liberal Party of Canada. Socialism you know? is nothing more than the path to it's communism. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It Socialism is nothing more than the path to communism. That, I mean... If you want to, if you want to go down that path, that's fine. But it doesn't have any place in this country as a holistic doctrine. Nope. Nope. It has no place whatsoever. Now we have, uh, again, those. I know people out there are going to argue. Well, we have socialist policies. No, we have social, social yeah, policies. It's different. It's different. Welfare is a social policy. It's not a socialist policy. Um, you, you know, uh, social security. It's not called socialist security. Yeah. It's social. That's security. a that's a whole ballpark yeah. in and of itself. You're just you're just you're splitting hairs. Yes, we are a capitalist society with social programs. Yeah. Assistance programs. Yeah. It's we're not a socialist country. Yeah. Social at is, all. Social means the intent to help. Socialist yes. means the intent to control. Yes. And I I'll say it. I, I don't believe I don't believe that at his heart. Trudeau is like an evil person or no. anything like that. I I do believe that he's trying to do what he thinks is right. He's just he's an elitist to the point where he thinks that he knows he's right. Exactly. And he doesn't he has no there's no room in his mind for the possibility that he could be wrong. There's just no he has no qualms with what he's doing. He knows he's right and the people are just too stupid to see it, so he has to do what he has to do in order to get them to understand. You know, not, someday they'll thank him. That's the way that they, he thinks about it. Yeah, un- unfortunately, I don't think that's ever going to come down his alley. No, but, but that's what he thinks in his head. It's yeah. like a parent that punishes their kids. They don't want to do it. But they think that you know one day he'll thank me for this. Yeah. You, you, no, they, they won't. No. Like I've I've spanked my kid. I have. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not an abusive person, but I've I've put him over my knee and I've given his butt some wax. When he's 30, do you think? Do I really think that he's going to say, "Hey, Dad, thanks for spanking me. I really appreciate it." <laughs> you know, not. no, he's not. Was it was it good for him in the in the circumstances? Yes, because um, it it taught him. Like you know about it. One time he caught something on fire um and i spanked him for it it was a big deal uh he almost burnt down a house <laughs> so yes i gave him a spanking it wasn't crazy but i'm i i spanked him for it he was young he was like five five to eight something around those but it could have been very dangerous he hasn't played with fire <laughs> since that yeah. he learned his lesson um so Again, yeah. I, I don't think that Trudeau, Trudeau's ever going to thank, be thanked for what he's doing because what he's doing is not right. He's in the wrong, but he thinks he's right. Yeah, that, that's. I guess that was that was my point. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's um the the big thing is just making sure that uh, people are solidly or very consistently aware of where the line is drawn with regards to what your local state and federal can do in terms of just make sure that you're, you're make sure you're aware of your local laws, 
um, and your state laws and all that stuff. Just make sure that you're aware of your the laws in your surroundings. Um, just make yourself very aware um, and and always keep up to date on um, you know things that are changing, laws that affect you. Pay attention to that kind of stuff. Start start thinking more locally and less less federally because that's where the meat and potatoes are. Well, I think too is that people need to separate themselves from. I don't want to say people need to be stoic, but they need to be, to some degree, they need to be stoic about the things that happen. I think too many times laws are enacted in the heat of the moment. And that's one of the reasons why we talked about the Patriot Act so much is because we were in the heat of the moment. Yep. And those laws should have never been no, discussed. Decisions until at least, like that should never be made in heightened. That shouldn't have states. happened at least at least a couple of years later. At least until a couple of years later after. I get it. I get it. They were worried. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if more attacks were coming. Um, but the same thing, they overreacted in World War II after Pearl Harbor. I mean, they enacted concentration camps, yeah. for God's sakes. Yeah. That was an, a, a, a horrendous overreaction to an emotional state. And had they had they sat on their laurels a little bit and you know, kind of waited to see what was going to happen, maybe they could have avoided that atrocity. But that's why the Constitution is so important. That's yeah. why the... The, the strict limitations that it expresses in some of the things that we're discussing is so essential because it 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 anticipates what government will do and what even the people will do. Absolutely. And, and see, that's the thing to remember is that the Constitution is not just a law. It's a reminder. Yeah. It's a reminder of what we are typically prone to do. If we're not paying attention. Yep. And we most, most of the time we don't pay attention when the situation is heightened, when the emotions are at its highest yep. point. So that's why it has to be dialed back. That's why we have to remind ourselves of what the constitu- why the Bill of Rights were wit- written the way they are, why the Fourth Amendment in this specific instance states what it does, why it does, what limitations it places, why, why it restricts certain activities on the part of the government and local law authority. Yeah. Uh, there, It's got to act as a reminder to us. It's like, hey, I'm really frightened right now of what's going on, but hey, I still can't let them do this because if I do, they'll take an inch and turn it into a foot and turn it into two feet. And before I know it, you know, I'm, you know, <laughs> six feet under. All you know. men and women created by the goal. You know, the, you know, the thing. The thing, <laughs> you know, and the guy and that, you know, that that clip right there kind of gives you I'm going to play it one more time. <laughs> All men and women created by the go. You know, the, you know, the thing they they don't they don't even respect it enough to be able to quote it. That's that's the thing. I know Joe Biden's a little a little crazy in the head sometimes, but they don't believe in that. They don't believe in that document. They don't no. believe in that at all. You can find us on Facebook at PA Between the Lines. You can find us on Twitter at the BTL Podcast. And you can find us on our website, thebtlpodcast.com. I'm getting really good at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm getting Maybe really good we at should that. switch our time to like 12 a.m. or something. <laughs> After hours. Between the lines. Um, as I just mentioned, you can find us on Facebook at PA Between the Lines. You can find us on Twitter at the BTL Podcast. Uh, we have a website, thebtlpodcast.com. So we we encourage everyone to go check out our website as well. Um, we're on YouTube on the channel Between the Lines. Um, like and subscribe. 
Not um, to be confused with you poop. That's you know, a different website. If you've, if you've made it this far in the video, comment below um, on something that you would like to hear next. Maybe there's a topic that you want us to um, you want us to cover. So go ahead and write down below. And uh, be about right there. Uh, comment uh, right about there. Hit the subscribe button, and then right about there, there's a little notification bell. Um, hit that little notification bell, and then when we release a video, you'll be notified, um, and we'll know that it's out there. Um, so, to recap, um, the Fourth Amendment protects you against unreasonable searches and seizures. Never consent to a search uh, without a warrant, uh, or without a warrant. Never consent to a search without a lawyer. Um, and three, just in general, um, be cognizant of your rights and just, we'll cover this more in the next time, but don't ever say anything to law enforcement without a lawyer present. Uh, we'll talk about that under the fifth amendment, but that's just a really good piece of advice. So, um, until next time, uh, just try to keep calm. Uh, you know, we're not enemies uh, in the, in this country just because we we may believe in different parties or vote for a different color or whatever. We're all in this together. Um, so even though we don't agree on some things, you got to remember that as a whole, um, you know, we're in this together. So uh, just because somebody votes for a different party than you does not make them the enemy. Um, so just just remember that 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 we're all in this together. And so until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye. Bye.